calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Subscribe on iTunes at Toddcast Podcast. Right on, man. Well, thank you for taking some time. We have chips uh, enough. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Right on, dude. Yeah, we've been talking about doing this for a while now. I think that's... Uh, you've uh, been very busy, so it's great that you took time out of your busy schedule to talk to me. Yeah, and I and I, I know that, uh, that you and I have some mutual friends in the rock world, so I'm looking forward to kind of getting uh, getting caught up in your world, man. Cool. They love it, buddy. Thank you. Yeah. Happy Halloween. Ha happy Halloween. Yeah. Like you, you notice the what? what yep, I got my look on too. This is me every day. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> uh, how was how was COVID? Let's get to it. How was COVID in your world? And you know, like you're like everybody, I guess, kind of just getting ready for shit to get back to normal, right? Same as everybody else, basically. Uh, Twenty. 19 late 2019 early 2020 i was kind of sick i didn't know what i had went to the doctors they said i had some kind of bug no one knew what it was then and i took the proper medications and uh i got rest and like within a week i was good in pretty good shape really and uh then we went out we toured we went over to uh we did the rock cruise they have every single year the monsters of rock cruise it was real successful. Hung out with all my buddies. Everybody was having a great time. No one heard anything about any kind of uh, virus that was going around. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then basically after that, uh, we did a bunch of shows in January, as a matter of fact. We did a small tour. And uh, then we went over to Montserrat Cruise. And after, right after that, uh, we embarked on our uh, Australian tour, our first one ever. With, oh, uh, Kip, really? With wow. Well, your first Australian? You've never done Austin? Really? No, unfortunately, uh, just never, it would never popped in. And we had opportunities. We just, it was a tough flight, 20 hours yeah. to get there. And uh, we just found ourselves in a, in a position where just in, economically, it wasn't good for us. But we finally found an open window and we had more than four shows. I think it was seven shows there. Because when you go to Australia, you want to do a bunch of gigs. You don't want to just play one or two shows. Right, right, right. So we had a, a seven gigs, which is great. The fans out there are wonderful. They, I mean, they really are starving for hard rock and heavy metal. They just love music out there. And beautiful places to go to. It's a lo lovely countryside. Really uh, fabulous people out there. I, I'm a big fan of Australia now. 
and then of course their food, their wine, their women, everything was just, you know, uh, off the charts. All the shows were really well, well attended. Yeah, I, I would imagine so, especially since you've never been there. Isn't that incredible, Chip, to think like your band? I'm like, dude, I used to listen to your band in like the fucking late 80s, early 90s. Isn't that incredible that like we're now 2021, we're coming up on 2022. You guys are still around. You guys are still doing what you do. Isn't that like, did you ever think that you would be around today? Uh, sure, I did. I, you know, who gears up a parent for failure? When we put when you put the band together back in uh, the early '80s, I think it was 80, late '83, early '84. Yeah, a common denominator was let's make great records and and make this last for a long time. We looked to our all our heroes that were out there. There's so many great bands to to pick from that we love, and so we went out. We started making records, started recording in our in our little apartment, making uh, small little cassette tapes and CDs. Uh, just for ourselves, mostly, see what tripped our trigger. And then, of course, when we got enough material together and we had some confidence, we found some people out there that were interested in what we were doing. Most notably, uh, Doc McGee, our manager at the time, was at Bob Brigham. And right. he was working over at a studio called uh, Royal Recorders in Lake Geneva. It was a great little place to go to. It's where all the Monsters of Rock happened back then in the late 80s. And uh, Doc came in and heard our stuff and told me, uh, he says, Chip, after three days there, he goes, I got three cassette tapes in my car. Two of them are enough's enough. I was, I was pleasantly surprised and flattered because I knew Doc. Well, at the time, wasn't he doing like, he was doing like Motley Crue and he was doing Bon Jovi and Skid Row and like he was doing a lot of shit, right? And he was out in Lake Geneva to check on the Skid Row guys that were recording their first album. And uh, so he said he had a friend of his that was interested in, uh, in signing bands. He signed uh Two bands that he'd mentioned were uh, Bon Jovi and Cinderella. And we said, oh, it's great. You know, we didn't think anything of it except that, well, it's another opportunity. We know we're going to reach somebody sooner or later. And lo and behold, a couple weeks later, uh, Derek Shulman came out to see us, who was the president of uh, Polygram or Atco Records, I should say. He, was, he used to be a Polygram. Yeah. And Atco Atlantic gave him his own imprint, came out and seen us. He just got done signing Pantera and ACDC and bad company and he loved the band and gave us a deal and here i am chasing the carrot 35 years later <laughs> exactly right and so was this something that you like was it growing up is this what you wanted to do was it always a focus of i'm going to be in a band and and if so which band was that to really kind of put you onto that uh onto that you know path well there was too many bands out there to mention that i loved beyond belief if you're talking here in North America, well, obviously uh, we love bands like Cheap Trick and and Aerosmith. Those those were two bands to go to, uh, but uh, most of our influences were over across the pond. Right, we Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin, and Queen, and, and the Beatles, and Monte Hoople, and Sweet. And there's just so many bands that to, to look at for inspiration. But we didn't really pick out one band like some bands. They go, I, I listened to Kiss, or I seen Kiss in concert, and I wanted to grab onto that. No, nothing wrong with Kiss. I, I always admired their strut too, but we just wanted our own sound. Maybe perhaps that was a problem in the beginning. We had no idea because it was hard to categorize enough stuff because we were alternative before alternative. We, we had rock, all, prog, alternative. Totally. Metal. You know, there's, there's a lot of different influences that came with enough snuff's music. So it was really hard for journalists and, and the fans themselves to categorize the band. At the end of the day, we just wanted to make great records and write songs about our everyday experiences that we went through. And I, 
I think we captured that in the bottle. Oh, for sure you did. Absolutely. You, you were definitely unique in it, in the time. So I'm, I'm curious then. So what's the music then in your house as a kid growing up? Like, what are you being influenced by? Well, it's pretty easy. You are what you eat. My, my mom and dad had Beatle records and, but they also had bands like Canned Heat and Rare Earth and, you know, listen to Woodstock stuff and, and the old Black Sabbath records. My dad had all that stuff. He was good. And he was really good with the blues stuff too, where, you know, he had Muddy Waters and uh, Buddy Guy records and Rolling Stones. And he, he was really, he grabbed onto blues stuff a lot. Yeah. And I think that seeped into our veins as well. Uh, but there was just hundreds and hundreds of bands. My father just gave away his record collection just recently. I wish he would have called me and told me about wow. really wow. like 600 old records that he had from the, in the early days because he doesn't play vinyl anymore. He listens to CDs still, believe it or not. It's easier to navigate, he says. Sure. Uh, but I have a ton of records here. And it's everything from the, you know, from the 40s all the way through to today. So I, I'm a vinyl fan. I don't listen to vinyl a lot. I have a record, great record, record player. Yeah, same. But, um, you know, a lot of stuff that we listen to, you're, you're on your phones, you know. And, and that's the day and age that we're into. If someone asks me, what do you want to listen to? I like CDs. That's my go-to. It's real simple to navigate and get to those records and put them in there. And you want to fast forward, you can do that as well. In the old days, I was listening to vinyl along with A-Tracks, believe it or not. No one even knows what those are anymore. A-Tracks. I remember that from my mom's 67 Mustang. Yeah, it was a big thing. I, I love that kind of stuff. Uh, nowadays, no, uh, you get tracks and pe people ask me to produce their records and they, they go, yeah, some of your stuff. And they give it to me on, uh, on Dropbox, you know, and you pull it up and listen to it. And there, there's your, there's your call right there. That's where you move from. And, and that's the, you know, that's place we're at when bands put records out. Now there's a landing page and it's iTunes and, you know, Spotify and all the, all the other pl places that hold your records. And that's how we listen to music right now. That's how we share it. That's how people indulge and, uh, and enjoy. So uh, listen, as long as the music can get out there, it's great. It's funny because you turn a TV on or you watch a movie or whatever, and you, it's music on every commercials. It's music. Music is the common denominator. Without it, we're doomed. Totally. So there's a, but still in, in the music industry, it's still looked at almost as something that's not as important as the actual product. And, you know, the sum is bigger than the parts, but I believe that music for is, is really a big part of our fabric. Yeah, totally agree. And it sounds like it's always been a kind of a, you know, a, a stronghold in your family. So what's the first concert that you went to as a little kid then? Uh, good, I, I would say probably Queen at the Aragon Ballroom. Wow. That's the person that comes up to me. Uh, it was Queen playing, I think it was 74 and 1974 it is, folks. And it was Queen. The opening act was Kansas. That song wasn't out then. Uh, but they oh, were even pre, pre that. Okay. Wow. Yeah, they were a totally prog band back then and real heavy. And then the second band on that bill was Frank Marino's Mahogany Rush. And I remember it vividly wow. because for the encore, Frank Marino came on and played the Star Spangled Banner on guitar, almost a la Jimi Hendrix. He's a big Hendrix fan. He to his guitar playing. He's got a great sense of balance. And uh, that was probably the first show that I went to. And I, I, I obviously I've seen tons of concerts since then, but that was the first one that comes to my mind. Uh, and I love the Aragon Ballroom because uh, every single band's played. I've seen ACDC play there. I've seen the Runaways opening for Stars and Angel there as well. And of course, you know, through the years moving, on, I've seen the Pumpkins play there and uh, 
and Cheap Trick. And I, uh, I've seen the last Nirvana show that was there. Wow. So a great venue, built in 1926. My grandfather was one of the guys that painted the place inside there. And it was basically a, a room that was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I believe it was a room that used to have like a ballroom where they had dances and uh, and, and uh, 40 music in there and stuff. And then uh, it turned into a, an ice rink. And then wow. from there, from the ice rink, they started having concerts there. And they realized that it was a, a very lucrative having shows in there. And they started booking a lot of bands and everybody played there. It's, it's really historical venue. Yeah, totally. And, and so let me, let me, let me ask you something that you know, of course it would always probably change chip, right? Like here's the, here's a question. You're like me, like, fuck dude, really? There's no way I'm going to be able to answer this. But tonight, if you're stuck on a deserted Island, this is, this is one of those questions. that's like really going to define you as a musician, as a person that loves music, which three albums do you need on that deserted Island? Uh, Beatles, white album, Pink Floyd, wish you were here. And uh, the last one is a toughie, but maybe is standing on the edge by cheap trick. Great record that not a lot nice. of people know about. They recorded nice. that Royal Records will record our first record as well. Yeah. And uh, they weren't really writing songs for radio, just writing songs as a, as a real rock band, plug in and play, no tapes, nobody backstage, you know, synthesizers. That was just a fabulous band back then. I think Todd Grungren produced that record as well. I think you did. Uh, actually, there's other yeah. records too. You would think I want to put one of mine. I'm not that self-indulgent. I love enough. Yeah. <laughs> can't, uh, can't, can't bring us an ups and ups record. No, you like are what you that. eat. And I listen. Those are records I go to all the time. You know, for uh, inspiration. Yeah. Nice. And can I add one more record? I like that uh, Radiohead. Uh, OK, Computer. That's a great record too. Oh, as well. You know what? Now, now there's Radiohead for me is one of those bands that. Um, and, and, and I put those guys almost in like a cold play sort of thing where you're like, man, if they're playing a show in Vancouver, I need to see Radiohead. I need to see Coldplay. But I don't know that they're one of those bands where I'm like, man, I need to hear that Kid A album. I need yeah. to go home and put that on. But if they're coming through, man, those guys, there's something about their live performance that they're almost untouchable. Both of them. It's, it's great musicians, and they work together as a team, and it's the same band, same guys, basically. They grew up together, and they just have, really have a wonderful sound, and they take chances. And they, I think they borrow from everything. It's a perfect band to look at. Yeah. Hard to categorize because uh, in pop, rock, metal, it's all mixed in their stuff. They have a little bit of elements on everything in there, and a lot of prog rock in that stuff, too. I think they're a fabulous band, and uh, obviously they sold a lot of records, but every album is different. They really changed from Kid A to OK Computer. That's yeah. a band that you look at. You just, there's not a lot of bands that come out like that. Every 20 years, you get a band that great. Totally, 100%. I saw them at T-Bird Stadium probably a decade, 15, 12, 15 years back, and it was like, <laughs> I was fucking blown away at how good they were live. Yeah, fabulous. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder, like, has the pandemic you know, we're all kind of just struggling to make it through and we're almost out of it. It feels like we're almost out of it, but like, has the pandemic made enough's enough kind of change or rethink the game at all? I don't think musically it has. I believe that every, we bought, we've struggled all of us together and, uh, you know, shout out to our nurses and our doctors and our, and our surgeons and the yeah. people on the front lines that have been taking care of the, of the our country and looking out for us. I mean, God bless those people. Wonderful. Uh, for us, 
Uh, we've hunkered down and we made records while we had time off. We toured, we played, we did the Masters of Rock cruise, that live streaming show stuff. Right. Get free concerts out to people, you know, 20, 30,000 people get on there and watch the show for free. Yeah. And how cool is that, thing. right? To know that like you, when you, when you do those shows that people are actually watching you do it, man. Yeah. Pretty cool. It's, yeah. It's good for your ego, yeah. um, but it's not good for the pocketbook, obviously, because no. uh, you know, we were doing it because we want to let everybody know that we're devoting our time and, and we we're grateful that people wanted to see uh, the band play, uh, see a concert live and know the band was still alive. Yeah. But when after everything started clearing up, well, we ended up uh, booking a tour. We went on a uh, straight out of quarantine tour with Faster Pussycat and Enough's Enough. And we toured for about two months around the country. And let me tell you, every single show, the fans are fantastic around the, around the world. They just love hard rock and heavy metal. Those shows, we weren't playing stadiums and sheds. I'm not full of myself. I'm not confused emotional progress. We were out there playing you know, four, five hundreds, maybe thousand seat venues on the weekends, but they were all sold out, jam packed. The fans really have spoken. They loved the groups, and I thought that was a really good tour. And we were almost like the human guinea pig, you know, put us out there and see if that one works. There was no other tours really happening then, and if that worked and everybody stayed healthy, perhaps other tours would follow and suit, and they did. And you start seeing all the bands going out right after that and playing the same rooms we were playing too as well. John Five was out there. He was touring around the country. I seen we did a couple of shows at Ingve Malmsteen. We did Houston with them. Uh, people were coming out to the shows. They want to see concerts and they want to see it live. And they don't want to go out and see the live streaming shows. They want to see the bands right in front of them playing the shows. They want to celebrate life oh, all together yeah. in one room. So in that way, it was good. After the tour ended, then I started seeing things getting shut down again. The, they had a new variant that was out there. And I know I hate talking politics. I, you know, I really don't, but I love the fans. And, and no one's really asking me, Chip, how do you feel about what's going on here? Uh, my personal thoughts are it's time to go out and play. We got it. We know there's a virus out there. We'll, we'll never be able to eradicate the virus because they're, once they're here, they're here forever. We have to learn to live around them. And the best thing to do is try to be as safe as possible. And for, you know, the unvaccinated and the vaccinated shouldn't be fighting it out. We should also be getting along because even if you're vaccinated, you can still, you can still contact this. Still pass it along. It yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's everybody to each his own. And for the ones that are, are not real healthy right now or have a compromised immune system, or perhaps they have religious beliefs, that's okay. You know, let's, let's, let's not divide the country over a virus that we had nothing to do with. Let's look out for each other like brothers and sisters, like they did in their moms and dads days. That's what I say. Yeah. Well said. Well said. All right, Chip, let's get outside of music for a sec here and, uh, and, and get to know you a little bit. Uh, I'm curious, what are, what are you, what are the shows right now that you're, that you're, that you're binging? What are the shows you can't get enough of? Well, I, I listen, I, I live the tour. That's what I'm built to do. Rick Nielsen said it best. He goes, we're not all built to do this, but the ones that are go out and play shows, that's what I love doing. But man, while we're off right now, I've made three albums. We have a brand new record coming out next week. It's called Hard Rock Night. And it's all Beatles songs because that's one of our biggest influences. And it's not a tribute record or anything. We're just paying respect to our forebears. It's a big band that, you know, wasn't for them. There'll be thousands of bands that we never even know about right now. Paul McCartney invented my job as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I think this record's a great hard rock record. Shows a different side of the band. It's a reinterpretation in our eyes, through our eyes, of the Beatles. And it's a, a solid rock record with big guitars. And it's ran the borderline of hard rock. But it's all songs that Lennon and McCartney wrote. And they're fantastic. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, Certainly to this day, off, like some it of takes the, best the pressure off. We have to write the songs, and we should have done this a long time ago. Yeah, uh, but I'm glad that we're the first band ever in the history of music to, to do a whole Beatle record, at least that I know of, of all Beatle songs that's done in a hard rock version, like Picture Stone Temple Pilots and Cheap Trick. You know, that's the that's the kind of record it is. It's, it's a powerful hard rock record with smash hit songs written by McCartney and Lennon. Some of them are with during Paul when during his uh, Wings days, and some of them are John on his solo career. But most of it's all Beatles songs, and I, I think it's a great interpretation of what what the Beatles were, what they'd be about. They were playing in this day and age right now. We're certainly not competing with them. If anything, it's it's, it's just paying respect to those cats. Right. And I'm glad we took a chance and did a record like this. I was surprised that Frontiers Records wanted a cover record because they want all originals, and we have a, you know a long record and a relationship with them. They want a bunch of records from us. And that was the first one that we're going to put out uh, this year. And huh. then we're going to follow it up with uh, my solo record, which is called Perfectly Imperfect. And that's got uh, some good guys on there. Joel Holster from White Snakes playing the record, along with Dax Nielsen from Cheap Trick. Daniel wow. Benjamin Hill's on the record as well. Uh, Marquis, he's playing guitar on a track, which is a new up-and-coming artist. He's fantastic. Uh, it's just a nice re record. It's my, it's my heroin love letter to the new generation that record 10 songs and it comes out i think uh in january and then we're looking at an april or may release of 2022 of the brand new enough snuff album wow this can be that fast so we'll, we'll uh, hear now, listen why i've been uh, todd why i've been off too i've been producing records i just i produced that marquishi record then i just finished up a record for a band called uh, midnight devils they're from nebraska a punk rock band and I, I, Chris Diamonds, who does all the stuff over Stonecutter Studio here in Chicago, he works with Ozzy and Alice Cooper, and he did the Kiss Revenge record. He's mixing the record for me right now. So, it, and then I've, I've played on numerous records too during this time off. So I'm certainly not lazy. I'm not being complaining. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I want to get the music out there. That's the most important thing because I see a big tour happening next year, and I want to be have all the stuff, all everything in place for the next thing I'm going to be doing, which I think starts at the end of March, which is a big major tour. And it's not out with LA Guns or Faster Pussycat or a Cinderella or a Poison or a Motley Crue. And those are great bands, uh, but it's a, it'll be a tour playing thousand seat venues and it'll be like a, a back to the eighties type thing. And uh, tons of bands of Bow Wow Wow, When in Rome, Missing Persons and Ups and Up. That's going to be a lot of fun. A new audience, new fans out there, a real celebration. That's pretty cool, man. And that'll all get announced pretty quick? Yeah, I think they'll probably announce something in the next couple of weeks, which I'm pretty excited about that because I can't yeah. wait to get back on the bus again, you know. The last bus broke down. We had, we had the Journey bus on the last tour. No, and did you in, really? In the middle of the Faster Pussycat tour, the thing broke down. We, we, listen, I was finding everything in there. We found all these guitar picks from Steve Vai and Journey and uh, all these bands from the 70s, you know, and the 80s that were using that bus for years, or I should say the 80s and 90s that were using that bus for years. Yeah. And finding old bindles in the back and, you know, bottles of booze <laughs> in the refrigerator that were, you know, from 1989. It was ridiculous how yeah. much of great storytelling on that bus, too. And it broke down in Denver, Colorado. And we found ourselves uh, having trouble finding to get, to, to get around the tour. And a friend of mine over in uh, Houston, his name is Justin. He runs a place called Warehouse Live. Uh, him and his friend put their credit card up and got us a 15-seat passenger van. And we were able to maneuver around the country and play the last 19 shows. How cool is that? He said he wasn't going to let the tour cancel. He said there was no way he was going to let something fall apart and fall to the wayside. He wanted to help out enough snuff. And boy, there, right there, there's a brother. I owe him 
I'm adept in him for the rest of my life. That's huge. That's huge, man. I'm I'm wondering what are you uh, what are you watching for shows lately? Uh, Disney, Netflix, just TV. What are you watching lately? Don't get a chance to do that a lot. My wife watches all that stuff. That's for sure. She's really good. Downton Abbey. She yeah. hails those kind of shows. Um, myself, uh, don't see a lot of TV when I do. It's all kinds of stuff. I'd rather not say. It's not what I'm not following. In the old days, when I used to live with Stephen Adler from Guns N' Roses, it was American Dad and uh, uh, Family Guy. Yeah, South yeah. Park, you know, it's all that's all he'd have on TV every day is cartoons. It drove me crazy. Uh, so now I just try to focus my attention on uh, just staying busy working. If I do watch TV and watch movies, I maybe go to Netflix. That's a go-to for sure. Yeah. And I used to love that Shameless show. That was something that really tripped my trigger a lot. Yeah. Uh, but now I can't. I couldn't pinpoint one show that I could say, "Oh, check this one out," because it's brilliant. Although there's a lot of documentaries that are coming out right now, that I think are interesting documentaries are the way to go uh, back yeah. to steven adler where the where did you live with that guy man that's steven adler my god we're talking rock royalty at this point now. oh yeah absolutely he's still i'm here in blue island right now he lived here for about a month with me when no he had to way. get out when he was getting clean getting sober and he came out here because he knew he'd be safe at my house yeah but, which that, that experiment didn't work as well as we thought it would but <laughs> i worked with not. him uh, Studio City, we lived together. I played with Adler's Appetite for about eight years. Uh, you know, he's still a brother of mine beyond belief. And he only goes off for the weekends right now. He's not interested in going out and doing long tours or anything because he loves his doggies and he likes to be home. Yeah. And he watches cartoons. He's happy with that. He goes off for the weekends, does the weekend warrior thing with his great band, and then he comes back home. But uh, he's on one of the tracks on my solo record, as a matter of fact. He, he plays drums on a a nice. song called Honolulu Boogie, which uh, is fantastic. I probably have about two albums of the material with Adler playing drums on it because when he was living over here, he would just come in in the room and just play beats. I go, hey, bro, check the drums for me, would you please? And my engineer would just record all this stuff. I got just thousands of beats of him kicking ass. You know, here's a guy that grew up listening to Queen and Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. He's really, got a great swing and a wonderful timber. So I, totally. the rest of my career, I have enough material. I can, I can keep putting out, out records with Adler and me, and, and it, it'll be fantastic because uh, nobody swings like he does. He's still a great drummer to this day. Yeah, dude, not at all. Like, I mean, I'm a drummer, and, and you know, I'm a, I'm a hack in comparison to you guys. But, uh, yeah, man, Steven Adler is, like, one of the fucking best, man, yeah, hands down. Like, Appetite is, like, one of the best albums drum-wise yeah. ever, man. Ever. Yeah, when they did that record, uh, there was no click track or anything. Just went in there to band. It was one, two, three, four, and laid down those songs. That's what he told me. He said they never used the click on any of that stuff. There was, there was no metronome. It's just uh, he was the metronome. He was and it. When they, when they finished doing the tracks, then at the, la the last one that played on the record was actually came at the last minute and sang all the songs. So I thought that was interesting the way they did that record. And Mike Klink was the producer of that record. Mike was responsible for Eye of the Tiger all that right. stuff for Survivor. So he was smart enough. Mike had a great sense of balance. He knew, listen, a producer's job is to bring out the best performance in the individual, make him feel comfortable. And that's what he did with Guns N' Roses. And when they were in the studio, I talked to Mike. I hung out with him at AM Studios when we were doing our Animals and Human Intelligence record. And he says, Chip, uh, those guys weren't doing anything. No smoking pot, no drinking, no nothing. Those guys are real focused on at the task at hand, which was making a great record. And then when they finished it all up, they brought it to Thompson Barbaria to mix it. And Axel asked those guys, he goes, hey, man, you think we could sell 100,000 records on this? And they're like, hey, maybe. I mean, no one knew. 
Nobody knew back then. Like, wasn't the whole infamous story was like that, that Motley Crue had brought them out on tour and they were almost at that point of like, get the fuck off this tour. You're done. We're not even going to continue with this band. And then suddenly, boom, it just, it blew up with the, was it welcome to the jungle or something that made it to the, the MTV airwaves and whatever. And then suddenly, you know, they were like the biggest thing, but they were almost off of that Motley Crue tour. That's, I think that's what the, the story Well, was. the real story, and that, that's part of the story, but the real story was they finally got the single out there and it stalled at about 150,000 units, okay? People weren't, uh, they were grabbing on those. MTV was only playing so many bands a day. Yeah. And, uh, Rick Krim, who was running MTV back in those days with Abby Conowitz and Les Garland, all those great guys who are all taking chances on different bands, trying to find something that would make the network still move forward because they were, they were mixing it up. They were putting pop bands in there and rock and alternative and heavy metal. It was a real potpourri of stuff. And it was a telephone call at two o'clock in the morning from David Geffen to Rick Krim. And uh, David says, Hey, I need a favor. Uh, can you play this Guns N' Roses record? And, uh, and Rick says, if David Geffen calls, he's like, EF Hunt, you listen. And <laughs> yeah, he, no doubt. And he, and he provided him with that favor. He played the Guns N' Roses track at nighttime. But it was due to it was like at fucking all the phone lines shut down. Like that, Everything right? shut down. Yeah, people yeah. were freaked out. Yeah, uh, the, all the phone lines is uh, closed up, and uh, they said, "Oh, you know what? There's there's reaction here. People like this track." And then they started adding it in the day parts, and it just blew up beyond belief. And that really helped that favor. Yeah. That Rick Krim provided David Geffen was the secret right there. Trust me. Otherwise, that record could have been like anybody else out there. Any of those other bands and it would have just stalled. He wouldn't have seen those sales. And then, of course, Ricky and the influence over at MTV not only played the track, but provided sales. To, and Geffen seen that. And Geffen got him on the tour with the Rolling Stones and with Aerosmith. And then when you play in front of audiences like that all the time, it's going to elevate your perception. Oh, 100%, especially when you're like blowing people away with these songs that are like, who the fuck are these guys? Like, where are these guys from? Why do I not know them? Like, what's going on? Yeah, I remember seeing them in L.A. They were playing with, uh, it was the Stones and Living Color with Guns N' Roses. Guns N' Roses was opening the shows. Wow. And uh, people were just blown away. And then they were smart. The record company was smart. They recorded those, made videos for those songs at those concerts. And it appeared that Guns N' Roses was already huge. But right. those were basically Rolling Stones audiences that were watching the shows. And then they played those videos and everybody's seen them goes, hey, these guys must be big. So <laughs> the, the, marketing, the marketing in that band was the genius way to go about it. But let's not forget, those songs were iconic. They still are to this day. They still hold up. Go see Guns N' Roses nowadays. It's a little bit different. There's three to five guys out there. But the band is as strong as they've ever been live. I mean, just powerful. And yeah. it's, li- it's all live. They're really a terrific band to this day. And I can't say one bad thing about you know, Slash and Axel, those two cats. You know, that's, that's, their pa- that's our plan page. Oh, 100%. Uh, Slash, yeah, wonderful guitar player and a charming individual as well. And Axel, anybody that can sing a Guns N' Roses tour, get off the tour and jump on with ACDC. ACDC, like what? That shows you that, guys. Yeah, he's got some superstar talent right there. So, yeah. hey, it's nice to be it's nice to be involved and work, and work with cats that worked with that band and, and done some great things. And I I have nothing but, nothing but respect for those artists. Yeah, 100%. Uh, switch to sports real quick. What what are the sports you like to like to watch? What are the sports you like to play? Uh, I'm not playing anymore. I'm older than most pussy. You know, if I go out there and play baseball or football or basketball, or I could get hurt. 
I can, <laughs> yeah. It's like riding a motorcycle. You can't do that as well, too. You got to be real careful out there. Right. Uh, but obviously, I'm a White Sox fan. I tried out for the Sox when I was a kid. Tried out for a bunch of baseball teams when I was a young kid. Wow. Uh, and and, and so how did, how did that go? How how, how the tryouts it, it, go? It went good. I did, I did good. I, I was under the tutelage of this guy named Benny Centura. He got me in uh, tryouts for Cincinnati Reds, Milwaukee Brewers, Kansas City Royals. I was a kid, 17 years old, throwing a curveball on the slider. And uh, it wasn't, I didn't have a fast enough pitch. And mm. I just uh, didn't make the fourth quarter, so for lack of a better term. Uh, but I had more to say uh, writing songs than throwing a curveball or a slider. So it was a good little thing for me to go out there and play sports. I, I think I took some of those elements of uh, being on a team and brought it to the band, you know, which is a little discipline and working together, together as a team, as a yeah, not just as individuals. And I think that helped a lot in the, in the beginning, putting together a guns and uh, enough's enough. And he working with Stephen from guns and roads. I tried to bring that to him too, because that was a five ring circus back in those old days. So oh, I, I, bet. I was able to play with him. I was able to show different ways that uh, you can make this work without, uh, you know, being, there's no I in team, you know, but there's a me in team ME. So there you go. Nice. Uh, but you know, other sports, you know, I, I love football. I love the bears. Uh, I don't really watch uh, the NBA as much anymore because I, they, they lean a little bit toward a side that I'm not interested in. Yeah. Uh, but I love sports, period. And I want to see, you know, all the teams do good. But I, I root for my teams here in Chicago, the Blackhawks, the Bears, and the White Sox. And I like to see the Cubs do well. I think that we have, we had a good team for a long time. Once a team wins it, then they trade everybody and it goes in a different direction. But right. I think in the next couple of years, you'll start seeing the Cubs uh, – There'll be a resurgence and they'll get back into it again. But right now, Sox had a great year this year. Uh, they went all the way to the playoffs and they lost this to Houston, who's a fantastic team. Houston's playing Atlanta right now. Uh, but have nothing but good things to say about the Sox. And they're going to be great in the future. Wonderful pitching and uh, a, a wonderful young talent, too, that's going to surround their team. If they're smart to keep that that nucleus together for the next five years, you'll see another, you'll see some more playoff uh, action for us for sure. Yeah, yeah. And how about uh, like MMA? You get into UFC and Bellator and Strike Force and all that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been watching a lot of the boxing too lately, to be honest. Yeah, same. Which is uh, something that's always tripped my trigger. And I just seen that somebody told me the other day that Tyson's going to be fighting again at 55 years old. And I thought that's kind of interesting to get in the ring at that age. You know, it's, uh, it's got to be tough. Well, who's he fighting, got- though? He's fighting that, that YouTube star. Fucking Jake Paul. Like, he's going to yeah. destroy that guy. Well, Jake Paul, 29-year-old guy, he's, he's, he's full of piss and vinegar. He's in pretty good shape. Dude, have you seen game? some of the shit that Mike Tyson has been posting on social media? I don't give a fuck no. how tough you are. It's Mike Tyson. Give me a break. He's one of the toughest guys of all time, period. Yeah, I'm not going to get in the ring with Tyson, that's for sure. And I have nothing but respect for him. I'm a big fan of his, as a matter of fact. Uh, but it's a tough gig, you know, I don't care what age you are to get in the ring with Mike Tyson. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a challenge for him too, no matter what, but that could, that fight depends if they're going to have rules and regulations and handcuffs on those guys. If they just let them go out and fight and there's no uh, mandates or restrictions, that could be a short run. Oh yeah. A lot, of, a lot of gamblers out there uh, betting on that fight. That's for sure. Oh, big time. <laughs> they, might, they might be easier money than Bitcoin. <laughs> very well could be yes all right chip I'll, I'll i'll respect your time here i'm gonna wrap it up with a couple more questions okay uh i want to know who who's the who's the most famous person that you've met keith richards nice maybe i went to go see mccartney one time but he got too tired at the end of the show i was hanging backstage with uh 
he has a couple of uh, musicians and uh, I can't think of the name of the bands right now. I got a brain cramp, but Chevy Chase was there for sure. Oh, and cool. the guys in Stray Cats were there along with uh, a couple other uh, most notable people. And uh, Paul's road manager came out and he says, hey, Paul's real tired, but he says, thanks for coming out. I'll see you guys next time. But I just happened to meet Keith at Soldier Field. I think it was 2006, 2007. Okay. And he came, I was backstage. A friend of mine got me into the show. He used to work with the band. He was a, uh, he, a sound, he, actually not a sound buyer, but a monitor guy. He worked for the band, but he was doing sound. And he snuck me in there. I thought it was really nice. Now we were going to go right through the backstage area, right out to the venue in front of the house and watch the show. Big Stones fan, have been for years. My dad turned me on when I was a little kid. And Keith happened to come walking up and somebody introduced us to, uh, to each other. And I thought it was nice because I, uh, the, the, it was a girl who does all their makeup and hair and stuff. And she said, oh, this is Chip from Enough Snuff. I said, Keith, big fan. I go, I, I owe you a lot. Where Our bands, are, you know, we, so we have the character and the style and the disposition of it of rolling stones but with the sound of cheap trick and he looked at me and he goes don't blame me so i thought ah, maybe i was the wrong thing to say right there <laughs> who knows <laughs> uh, but i love his playing and i i love the way he writes songs and uh, i just thought he was a real charming cat you know when you, he doesn't have time to talk to anybody you would think but those guys are just like everyday cats they meet they meet other musicians and they're very inspiring so uh there's other artists too that i've gotten a chance to hang out with uh but uh, those are the two biggest ones that I've been around. And one I got a chance to meet. The other one, uh, he eluded me, but I, it's, it's not over yet. It's not done yet, might, man. Yeah, one day and- we might cross paths. Uh, and I would like that because if it wasn't McCartney, I probably wouldn't have a job right now because he invented the singer bass guitar, I think. Yeah, totally. And and uh, and back to Keith Richards for a sec. Uh, have you read his autobiography? Yeah, it's fantastic. Life? And that's Dude, not a good thing. I found the truth. You got to say you can't say one bad word about that. If you're going to put together an autobiography, people want to hear about truths. They don't want to hear milk and cookies. They don't want things that are going to be watered down. They want to hear, they want to expose all those uh, scars and tattoos. And I think keep the debt very eloquently. Yeah. One of my favorite, uh, you know, rock uh, autobiographies. I love uh, uh, Sammy Hagar's red. If you haven't read that one, fuck man, the guy. I haven't read that yet, but I've been hearing about that, but I, Hey, listen, I love Slash's book with, uh, Yes. Anthony Boza. I think that's a great one. Another and, great read. Uh, and uh, you got you to gotta love Is That Noise in My Head Bothering You by Stephen, Stephen Tyler. That's a fantastic book. Adler's oh, book is pretty good, too. Haven't read that one. No, I haven't yeah, read it. Really, both. Adler's book is great. And uh, there's a new book that's coming out. It'll be out next year. Uh, the author's Kate Catalina. And uh, the book is uh, on Jack Russell. It's the story of Jack Russell and Great White. For Great White. That book's going to be incredible. There's so many heavyweights that are in that and really exposing all the stuff that happened in those early days. And even the people that were that were you know were maybe a little bit uh, looking the other side and a little negative toward Jack because of what happened, uh, they're going to be pleasantly surprised because uh, it's a chance for him to to really apologize and show some empathy and respect to the families that were fans of the band in the old days that he lost. And he's going to tell the truth about everything that happened in, in those early days of Great White. They, those guys are a formidable band. They toured with Guns N' Roses. They had the same management company. Alan Nevin, fabulous manager, managed Great White as well. Uh, I think that's going to be a good one. I'm looking forward to that book. And then perhaps in the next year or so, we'll get my book as well. I, I mean, oh. that's enough. <laughs> nice. Are you are you currently working on that book? Then? I've been working on it for five years. Okay, and okay. You, know, I, I, you take time off. It's not easy. You really got to devote a lot of time. And I wanted to get Dude, a ghostwriter, somebody to come in and help me put it. What I did was I 
did the book on a CD on CDs, like five CDs of material, you know? Yeah. And, and it's me just talking, telling stories, going through the whole chronological order of how the band started off and where, and where we are today. Uh, but I think if I find someone that can help me, you know, massage that and put it all together, that'll help me to, to be able to put the story up and get it out there to all the people, because I, I want my book to be a movie. Who doesn't? Uh, I want your book to be a movie too. <laughs> yeah, because listen, my book is not it's not about it's not it's not homogenized. My book does. Uh, it, it'll expose everything that went out with enough snuff, and, and some of the stuff hurts to talk about, but uh, I'm willing to let it out there because I, uh, I want to cleanse my soul. It's part of the history, man. We all want to yeah, hear it as fans as well, is. right? Yeah, absolutely, Todd. Yeah, and people want to hear. People want to read books. And, uh, you know, the, the Kiss books that are out there, all the audio stuff that comes out, Nikki Six's new book, uh, there's some good stuff that's happening right now around the world. And if you can't uh, get it uh, and see those bands all the time or talk to those artists, man, nothing like having that story right in front of you. And uh, it's a tough sell to get out there and to, to put a book together and try to get people to, to get interested in it. But if you got a good story, you got a movie. There's no, there's no stopping on what that choo-choo train can take you. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. Well, looking forward to that. All right, wrap it up with this uh, with this one. Sh share because I don't take this the wrong way, Chip. But I feel like there that you have a near death story that you can share with us, like where you're like, "Holy fuck, I should have died there." Yeah, during the recording of my record, there's there's been a few of them, okay, uh, but just recently, about five months ago, I was down in Chicago on the north side of Chicago, and I was stopping over this place called Bodai. Uh, right across the street from where I recorded over at uh, Stonecutter Studio, which is on 1829 Clinton, uh, 1827 Clinton on, in Chicago on the north side. And uh, I, I made a U-turn and pulled over in front of the place. I was going to order some, some uh, Thai food and bring it back and surprise my wife. And as I got out of the car, I, I heard a loud noise. I looked in front of me and there was a car flying at me at 100 miles an hour right at me. So I jump up on top of my, I have a Mercedes Benz. I jumped up on top of the Mercedes Benz, pull myself up in the car. I can feel the wind as it goes right by me, inches away from my legs and my body and we're away from the car. And then behind it was two unmarked squad cars chasing this jag off, flying down the street on a side street, by the way. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. That, that one shook me up and that was uh, divine intervention. That's all I can tell you. Divine intervention right there. Real lucky because that could have been the last days right there, and I wouldn't have be able to talk to you today. So uh, happy that there's still some gas in my tank. And <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to going out on tour and, and finishing up this year with a bunch of shows. And then uh, next year, that big tour with Bow Wow Wow, One in Rome, Enough's Enough, Missing Persons. Yeah, I saw that. And then, of course, uh, Take It Around, and a new record comes out next week. Very grateful for that. Hard Rock Night, which comes out on Frontiers Records. First single is called Jet. The old Paul McCartney and Wings track. Yeah. And, uh, we'll see what happens next year when, when I embark on this new tour and uh, having my solo record out with Joe Holkstra and Dax Niels from Cheap, Cheap Trick. And uh, a lot of good stuff that's happening right there. And a lot of records I've produced and played with. I'm trying to help out as many artists as I can right there. So, uh, you know, wish me well as I navigate these waters that are unprecedented. Dude, that's amazing, right? Like, think about you got the you got the album coming out with the band. Yeah. You got the solo album coming out. Yeah. You're writing a fucking autobiography. Like, 
most people would just be crumbling under that amount of pressure to like finish shit up, man. No, and, and there's enough awesome. household here. It's, it's all work and no play. Uh, we, we just constantly are doing stuff. We le- try to leave the nights to ourselves to try to hang out together and, and do some good stuff as a family. But for the most part, uh, we, it's a house full of artists right here that are you know, constantly writing books and making records. That's what's at, at the end of the day. That's what, that'll be our legacy. Not a bad legacy, my friend. Chip, thank you, man, for taking. I took a, took the hat off just for a quick sec here. Yeah, no, I appreciate uh, that. I, I'm glad you had a good Halloween. Oh, it was it was awesome. My boys were dressed up as both uh, dinosaurs. One was like fucking nine feet tall. It was crazy. The other uh, was like lots of. I played a Halloween there. party last night. We played at uh, the Dannenberg Winery out in New Berlin, Illinois, where Moses left his sandals. It's got to be about three, four hours here from Chicago. I had a great show and everybody was dressed up and celebrating life. It was really a lot of fun. And I, I love playing Halloween parties. Last year's Halloween get together wasn't happening because everything was shut down. So right. it's nice to be able to go out there and play shows. I'm glad that everybody's uh, excited about what the future holds. I wish everybody a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And uh, I'll see you next year on tour, my friend. It's all coming around. Yeah. So uh, where's the best place? Where are you most active online? Is it Instagram? Is it? Oh, uh, yeah. You can check me out on uh, Instagram, Chips and Up Instagram, or I, I'm also, I have a Facebook fan page and I also am on Twitter. So, and then you can check me out also. I'm on the Monsters of Rock six days a week, monstersofrock.com. You can check me out on there. I'm on Dash Radio, which is the new uh, uh, Sirius, okay, for the satellite radio. Yeah, yeah. 30 million subscribers, got about 900,000 people a day listening to us. Wow. And that whole show is nothing but A through Z, the whole alphabet of hard rock and heavy metal. I'm on six days a week. Rudy Sarzo's got his own show on there. Um, Carrie Stevens, uh, for the old Playboy Playmate. Carrie, she's wonderful. Uh, Harlan Hendricks, who's uh, Hendricks, he's the guy who runs the whole thing. Uh, he's, he's got his own program as well. I think the Dead Daisies were on there for a while. They had their own channel. Oh, cool. And uh, it's, a, it's a great show. Claudia, she's on there, ClaudiaComedy.com. Check her out. Uh, MonstersOfRock.com, Dash Radio. Just get down the – all you got to do is download the app, DashRadio.com, and then uh, you download the app and go right to Monsters of Rock Channel 502, and you can get me every single day. And if you want to talk to me, too, I'm giving shout-outs every single day over at Cameo as well. Chips enough at Cameo. I'm on all the time. So there you go. Got a lot of stuff going on. You are. You're a busy boy. Chip, thanks again, man, for joining us, and uh, and we'll see you. uh, We'll see you online, man. God bless you and your family, buddy. The Toddcast Podcast on ToddHancock.ca. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.